Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast in association with Bank of Ireland. Week one of the Rugby World Cup is down. Ireland making light work of Romania. France laying down a mark against New Zealand. The Springboks fending off Scotland. George Ford's heroics for England against a fairly brutal Argentina. And not forgetting the game of the round as well. Wales clinging on against Fiji in a belter of a match in Bordeaux on Sunday night. An enormous amount to get through. James Downey is back with us again this week. James, how are you? Neil, very good, thank you. And delighted as well to bring in a World Cup winner for the ride, BJ Botha from South Africa's 2007 squad is with you. Welcome back to Ireland, BJ. A couple of new coaching gigs for you this season. You're with UL Bowes in the AIL and also Glenstall Abbey uh, in the Munster Senior Cup. Yes, yeah, Neil, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to be here and... Um... It's been a it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, so still finding my feet, but yeah, looking forward to the season ahead. Well, luckily you, you were back in South Africa for a little while before coming back to Ireland there recently enough. So really curious to get your thoughts a bit later on 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 how Ireland are being viewed by by those down in South Africa ahead of what's to come in a couple of weeks' time. We'll get straight into it though, and we will start with Ireland's eighty two eight win against Romania in Bordeaux on Saturday. A pretty straightforward day's work for Andy Farrell's side. Aside from conceding a try inside the opening two minutes, but there were 12 tries with little fuss in the heat as well. And it looks like all players have come through without any injury disruption. Before we get the thoughts of BJ and James, Michael Corcoran caught up with a couple of the players after the game. Caelan Doris and first, here's Tyg Byrne. With Tyg Byrne, Tyg, congratulations. A great win. Fantastic work, my life performance. And two tries for you. That last try, I think, epitomised the, the whole team attitude. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, coming into the game, we we wanted to lay down a marker and um, for first and foremost get the win and then obviously uh, we wanted to score um, as many tries as, as we possibly could and I think at half-time we felt like we had a lot more uh, in us and, you know, I think it showed our, our mentality there at the end where we were camped on our, our line but we wanted to keep the ball alive and ended up going to the other end of the pitch uh, to get another try, so we're very pleased with that. As one of the lucky ones who had a seat, what was it like to play out there on that pitch? Um, yeah, it was it was hot. Uh, first half, I didn't find too bad. Second half at times it was difficult, but like we have trained for this, you know, we'd... We've done probably tougher training sessions than that game in the that game overall. So, uh, you know, we were we were pretty ready for it, and uh, I think we probably showed at other times um, how, how fit we we are. So, a lot to be pleased about in terms of a first game of a rugby world cup. Good to hit the ground running. Good to get the games uh, sort of game minutes into your legs. Absolutely, and I think you know for the lads who hadn't had a world cup game, it's great for them to you know have that ticked off as well. And uh, we've started well and. Just need to keep that up and keep improving our performances game by game now. Caelan Doris, congratulations. Uh, tremendous win, tremendous performance in really very, very difficult conditions out there. Yeah, it was roasting, uh, definitely melting. The scrump gap as well added to that, trying to stay in the shade as best as possible, but it wasn't always possible. Uh, good to get up and running. Uh, lots of decent stuff in there. Some of our attack is very pleasing. Um, happy with some of the tries we scored in that last one at the end, the, the mentality to keep going. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good place to start, and looking forward to kicking on now. A bit of a shock to the system in the opening three minutes. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't quite the plan, but um, we're happy with how we sort of yeah moved on to the next moment. Yeah. Didn't let it uh, bother us, and they didn't score again, obviously, by the penalty. So that was pleasing. And those tries before halftime really gave you a solid grip on the game. I mean, what was the message from from Andy and the coaches at halftime? 
Um, just to keep going, stick to our basics, stick to our fundamentals, what's made us a good team over the last couple of years. Um, we did some good things in the first half, but there was a little bit of scrappy stuff and going away from the, the plan and the script a little bit. So uh, just get back to that and trust in it. And just a word about Johnny Sexton. What was it like having him back on the pitch again, barking around the place? Makes some difference. He's obviously been training with us and been leading things in the background quite a bit, but he's, he empowers everyone else on the pitch, makes some difference. So yeah, glad to have him back. So that was Caelan Doris and before that, Ty Byrne as well, speaking to RT Sports, Michael Corcoran. Guys, um, to start out with, I mean, there isn't really a huge amount we can say about the match just because of the, the gulf between the, the two sides on the day. But James, from an Irish point of view, it probably went as well as I think Andy Farrell could have hoped. They got a decent run out. They put up a bit of a score as well, which may or may not come into play if points difference are, are crucial down the line. 12 tries, most of them well taken. Johnny Sexton got in, looked sharp on his return. And all importantly as well, no injuries. It seems like anyway. Uh, we'll obviously find out a little bit more later today when the coaches are up for, up for media duty and the players as well and we get an update. But all in all, a solid weekend's work. Yeah, very much so. I think as well, it's it's got to be put down to, to a nice statement win. You know, it's it's you kind of it's the unknown of what we're going into before that game and everyone's nervous still a little bit nervous going into kind of the next couple of rounds but i think you got to be happy with the 12 tries you know and and as you mentioned there johnny sexton getting 65 minutes which was kind of more than most thought you know i personally thought they were going to take him off after after 50 uh, or just after half time get those minutes in his legs but to go to, to to go to 65 obviously he's going to pose a question on selection this week but um i think it's a uh, it, it, everyone's got to be delighted with that you know 12 tries um you could see from the other games as well the heat having such an impact and for the players to to keep going and in that 80th minute Matt Hansen deciding to run the ball back um um, I'm sure, and then Andy Farrell said he wanted him to kick it off, but then uh, turned into a great team try. But look, all in all, bar that first couple of minutes when um, not too much you can do about that opportunist try from the Romanians. Pretty happy with how everything went, and uh, how everything went. And I think certain players put up their hand to to give Andy Farrell a bit of a selection headache going forward. Yeah, and BJ, one of the the interesting things James mentioned it there that the last try in particular. Of the 12, that was clearly the one that Andy Farrell was was most pleased with at the end of the game because I, I, I remember going back as far as when Ireland played Fiji last November. It was a a 30-something, seven win or something like that. It was a fairly mundane victory and Ireland weren't really at their best. And what, what Andy Farrell said after that game, what really, really he seemed to take issue with was the fact that at the end of the match, uh, clock hit 80 and I can't remember who it was for Ireland, but just kicked the ball out and saw things off. And Farrell was... He wanted to see a lot more ruthlessness in his side that they were just satisfied to get in and out with the victory. But the fact that Ireland were 75-8 up when the clock is dead in the boiling heat in Bordeaux, when I was there, I can tell you it was absolutely scalding hot. And still they were going to try get one more score. They weren't satisfied to just put it out. They were going to run it out from deep. And I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid if they just kicked out that ball. But as I said, there isn't a lot we can read from this game, but one thing Farrell was clearly pleased with was the attitude of the players throughout those 80 minutes, that they weren't content to just wrap up their victory and get on to Tonga next week, that they wanted to, to be as ruthless as they possibly could. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And a kind of a side of a quality side, really. I suppose they kind of just process around building through the World Cup, really. And it shows that the team, you know, these games have got a kind of a way of getting running away with you guys, spreading it wide, you know, just really getting really loose. And I think I suppose that's what Farrell's probably referring to, that the guys still stuck to the plan, the process. Um, and, you know, obviously with respect to Romania, they weren't going to be any threat and uh, we expected the scoreline. But it's how we put that together in the performance side, building through the World Cup with this. And then the other side we'd be very pleased with, I suppose, is a, is a clear bit of health. I think these games, you're kind of really panicking as a head coach about getting in players injured. I mean, and that's the big part. Um, I think a bigger part anyway, um, leading into now the World Cup and having your squad, especially Ireland. I think, um, you know, they, they've got a top, top squad, but I sometimes question the depth around certain positions. Um, you know, for me, uh, going forward against South Africa, I think they're very well able. We'll speak later about it, but... Uh, and just in this Ireland game, uh, just in this Romania game, I think they'd be very happy to, you know, pull every three, everyone through without injury. Yeah, and the, the injury thing, obviously, James, as well. Like, there was a moment when Johnny Sexton scored that try just before halftime, and it was Jason Tamani just kind of stood on his hand as he as he dived in, and you could see Sexton was kind of clenching his, his wrist or his hand or whatever it was, and there was just this kind of sinking feeling around the stadium of, oh God, don't tell me, don't tell us something's after happening here to, to Johnny Sexton. And the relief to see him coming out after halftime, you know, considering the match was done and dusted at that stage, the fact that he did play on for 25 minutes shows he was obviously perfectly fine to continue, but it just summed up the the need to get in and out of those 80 minutes without an injury. Now I know Robbie Henshaw picked up a, a bit of a hamstring niggle beforehand. It does seem like he will be available to play this week if if selected. But to get through it, those 80 minutes unscathed, against a, a side that what they could offer Romania was a lot of physicality, in fairness to them. And the dominant tackle stats, to their credit, were, were quite impressive. So they were bringing the physicality. So get in and out of those 80 minutes unscathed and onto Tonga this week is obviously the big plus. Yeah, massively so. And you kind of look what's what's around the corner and you're, you mentioned physicality and the Tongans are going to bring that high level of physicality as we saw against the Samoans and the fact that the Tongans haven't played yet and they're sitting back watching they'll be chomping at the bit to get out there and and, and put on a performance and it's their first game they'll have focused on Ireland it's that's all they've seen for the last while and and I'm sure they're that those boys are raring to go so the physicality side of yes yeah, the Romanians but it's going to be uh, stepped up another notch and when Johnny got that try now I was pretty kind of I saw him kind of slowing down I was like man just put it down just put it down and or dive over protect yourself and because it's a small little innocuous things that um can send you off and as you say the game was done just put it down score it make it easy he just slowed up and I was like oh you're just asking for trouble and I know he turned around and was pretty annoyed with with, with him coming in on the tackle but if he knocks that ball out everyone's saying he's a hero so just get it down and get out of there. And that, oh, I was just so worried. Now he's holding on to the wrist, and I said, "That's not what we need," you know. But fair play, he he got back on and uh, and controlled things so well. So yeah, injuries are, yeah, we avoided all those. It's a, uh, it's clear, BJ as well. The just what he brings to the Irish team, like the just just some of the sharpness. There was a period, I think, Ireland's worst period, probably from around. 20 to 30 minutes. It was after that water break in the first half that probably took the sting out of Ireland a little bit. And you could see Sexton was getting quite frustrated with it. And there was a point where Ireland won a penalty just right around the edge of the 22. And 
Sexton had the ball probably about 30 yards back and sprints up to the 22 to take that that penalty as quick as he could because you could see he he knew Ireland needed to get some pace back into their game that they'd probably just kind of gone into a bit of a lull. Ultimately, from that quick tap penalty, Romania conceded a yellow card and Ireland scored another couple of tries before half time. Then you the fact that he got two more tries as well for himself. On top of that, early second half, Ireland win a penalty three or four metres inside the Romania half and he sticks it to within five metres of the line. Just It was those small little things that he brings to the Irish side that just stitches everything together. And for a man, as we said last week, 38 years old, coming back in to play his first game in six months, you know, big layoff, obviously some of it self-inflicted, as he said himself after the game. But it was a great little blowout for him for 65 minutes and he looked like he hadn't taken a backward step. Yeah, there's no doubt how valuable he is to Ireland. And, uh, you know, he shows that with his experience. I mean, the game, the team just flows a lot better. You know, he seems just to have so much more time. And and really, it is it is a great, it's it's it's, it's a great scene to watch. And, uh, yeah, going into the World Cup, they be definitely take a lot of confidence, I think, from this and him playing 60-odd minutes. However, I think the next, the next kind of challenge is, is a selection against Tonga. Because we know where Tonga is going to be running. Um, down the channel, one-way traffic all day. And I suppose that's the big thing for me around Tonga. And James already mentioned the physicality. If they thought, I suppose, they wouldn't underestimate it. But if, if Romania was physical, then you know Tonga is just going to take that through the roof. And uh, I experienced that in 2007. And it was a game we almost lost um, at the end. And it wasn't actually about just the skill level, with all respect. It was the physicality about tackling, just tackling, and tackling and it's not just you know and it's just that physicality side that they have to come around now and who they're going to be using um with south africa on the horizon so i think this is the big game for ireland for me in the sense of what you know they, they're going to be you know how they're going to be damage control around because they still have to show tonga respect they have a couple of new players in so it's going to be interesting how they work this one but and johnny is again a player they need uh, throughout the whole tournament um so it's going to be interesting one how, how they work this as a as a South African, will you just be sitting back with your feet up, watching every tackle, watching watching Tonga rough up as many Irish players as possible? <laughs> yeah, watching the collisions. Now it's a, it's a sad to watch these, uh, you know, watching Tonga and Samoa and Fiji and yeah, especially Tonga and Samoa. You know, um, again, you have these ingrained in your memory from two thousand seven, playing both of them in the pool games, and it was uh, it was they just drain you. You know, that physicality. You don't have enough turnaround time, and it's a uh, yeah, we'll be looking back, but look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, all for Ireland, you know, doing well. Um, just in, just in a couple of weeks' time, not so much, you know. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. And again, I have a lot of friends on the side, and uh, I, I'm, I'm very pleased for where they are in, in world rugby, and I look forward to them doing really, really well. Well, look, fingers crossed for you. There'll be two Ireland South Africa meetings at this World Cup. Um, James, a. <laughs> Last week, yourself and Darren Cave, we were talking about the the centre options for Ireland. And I think he kind of said Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose would be your preferred option. But again, we have to kind of caveat everything, all of what we say from this game with the fact that Romania obviously weren't anywhere near uh, the the level required. But Bundiaki uh, was streets ahead uh, of pretty much every player on the pitch at the at the weekend. 20 carries, 190 metres with the ball in hand, two tries. And I know, obviously, you know, he was considerably better than the players he was opposite with Romania, but just looked so sharp in everything he did. 
Yeah, he did. He did, and I was kind of I I did contemplate my words when we were when I was watching the game, and I said, "Oh, I think I've gotten that one completely wrong with um kind of Robbie and Gary because if I looked at looked at this week, I would kind of if I was going to give Robbie some minutes, I'd I'd take out Gary, and you got to keep Bundy in there for for that physicality as well, especially what you're going to receive this week with uh with the Tomlins. But Bundy was superb in everything he did. You, you could see he was a man on a mission. He had a point to prove. Um, and again, it's a statement for him to the coaches that I want to be your 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 starting centre. Come to come the big games, come that game against South Africa, come Scotland, and come the latter rounds. And I think he's done himself no harm in everything he did. Yes, okay, you got to take the the opposition into consideration, but everything he did was was good. You know, he carried hard, he offloaded, he supported well, uh, and he played with a smile on his face and 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 made some good line breaks too. Obviously, could be reading too much into it, but. Do you think maybe the fact that he had that red card at the tournament four years ago and ended up missing the the quarter final, do you think that's playing on his mind coming into this tournament that he he probably owes it to himself maybe to put in a bit a statement performance over these few weeks? I I don't think so. You know, I think it's that's a a lot's happened since then. You know, I think he's uh, a more mature player now. He's uh, more kind of, I think, especially with this new regime, he seems to just not be as uh, he, he uses his head a little bit more rather than heart, and he's not all passion now. He's a smarter player, as I would see it. And as I said, he showed last week, and he's a team player much more so um, than he has been previously. And I just think it's credit to him that he's he's done so well. And look, he's as I say, I was I put my hands up and I said it was Robbie Gary, so it's it, it's Bundy for me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. After sorry, just coming in, I agree with James. There's no doubt. And again, we're talking about South Africa. You know, when Bundy's been on form against South Africa, that's when they've you know they've really put them South Africa under pressure because that defensive line that South Africa bring doesn't stop him on the line. So that physicality just takes that two meters over the bondage line, which slows down that speed of the line, which allows the island to kind of come onto the ball really hard, and then that just runs out of I suppose its steam at some stage. Not always. But he's a vital cog there, and especially now that he's hitting, he's hitting form. So he's going to be a vital cog going forward for them, no doubt. Um, Joe McCarthy then was obviously the the other standout selection uh, in the squad last week, and did pretty well. He got his try, seventeen carries. Only Bundiaki had more, six tackles. Only Peter O'Mahony put in more. He had a couple of turnovers, had malls, a couple of big moments like getting around in the physical in the in the tight exchanges as well so a really really active 80 minutes from him obviously he might be a bit disappointed being held up over the line a few times how did you i suppose it's a, it's a twofold question i might go to bundy first how did you how did you think he went on saturday and then also what do you think his chances are of of earning selection for that game against south africa okay to me yes yeah yeah well look i think he's you know, watching the game, again, take it into context, it's Romania. And yeah, um, he played well and he put up his hand, but he, he's still a really inexperienced player at international level. So that's my one concern um, going into the games and, and being, of you know, putting up his hand for a selection. You know, I don't know. I've got questions around that. However, it's great to have him now. And I think that put him into the Tongan, you know, kind of selection uh, squad and then see him prove himself there again and then obviously make a decision post that. But there's no doubt that he's, you know, great to have someone on on performing on, you know, at, at a World Cup and, you know, knock you on that door. I think that's the most important thing uh, from a depth perspective. You know, there's no doubt around that. So I think um, going forward, 
you know, I did think about, you know, do you do you, do you put Tyg Tyg Burn at at kind of you know back row and then bring him into the second row? I'm not too sure about that. I think it's I think in the bigger games, I think it's gonna the experience will tell. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting how they are. And I think he will possibly be selected against Tonga again, and then you know, kind of they'll probably take, reassess then. I think it brings in. Ian Henderson then to that conversation of I'm sure he still has plenty to to offer in the back of that you know um you look at Joe's performance agree with BJ and how um he's young he's inexperienced I reckon they'll give him another shot this weekend but I think Henderson going forward to South Africa it's a big call for them to make to kind of put Joe in there and and to parachute him in uh relatively um inexperienced at the level as as BJ's noted there so Henderson still has a lot to say in this World Cup, you know, and he's an experienced player against a top quality side like the South Africans. Will it be that experience? And the, and the coaches have to make this call. Well, it, it, okay, to, to move it on then, whether it's Joe McCarthy or Ian Henderson or even a Ryan Baird, do you like the idea of Ireland going with an extra second row in there and keeping Tyg Byrne in the back row for the game in South Africa? Bearing in mind, you also have to decide which of those back row players drops to the bench, whether it's Josh van der Fleer uh, again or whether it's Peter O'Mahony. And then potentially Jack Conan is also available for that game as well. So there's there's a lot of options. Um, there's a lot of options in there. There's a lot of options. Yeah, look, and that's the permutations that we want to have. And it's so good that we have this depth that we I think we'll need it. You know, especially we look at this weekend. I'm sure he will give some players a go to try and put up the hand. Also, try and be a bit smarter with the squad and try and rest a couple of players for that next game as well. But as BJ says, while still showing that respect to Tonga, look, ultimately, we should be Tonga. Um, and this is an opportunity for some players to put up their hand, get some minutes in their legs as we did in the first game. And selection I'm sure he's going to have written down the selection for before this World Cup of who he'd like to see and I'm sure people might have changed his mind a little bit so he's going to have to do maybe one or two tweaks but it's certainly good to have the options you know and it's it's a chance for someone else to kind of maybe put up their hand this week uh, and try and force their way into selection but you've got to keep an eye on that South African in the back of your mind and and where you go where you go with it, it's going to be extremely interesting. Do you go with the physicality? Do you drop, um, do you drop a Van der Fleer who's done absolutely nothing wrong, or or do you leave Pete out and put, uh, as you say, Tyg Byrne in the back row? There's so many different permutations and combinations that we can have. Um, but where we go with it, I don't know. Yeah, uh, BJ, final just, question. Yeah. Final question then to you, and it's and it's just following on from that as well. As as a South African, would you? What would be the kind of the makeup of the pack you would you would least like to come up against uh, for the Springboks next week? Would it be what we've traditionally seen of James Ryan and Tyg Byrne in the second row and uh, Evander Fleer, Doris and Peter Romani back row or uh, like an Ian Henderson or Joe McCarthy or Ryan Baird in the second row alongside James Ryan with uh, Tyg Byrne, uh, Kaelin Doris and one of Peter O'Mahony or Josh van der Fleer then alongside them which would you be more confident facing uh, yeah probably the uh, more unsettled untraditional setup I suppose with James Ryan um, I would say the more general Tyg Byrne uh, James Ryan at second row Doris O'Mahony 
you know, I think the South Africans wouldn't would rather prefer the other the other pack. You know, that pack you talk about the ones that they always go with. I think that's the side that's more settled. I think they definitely a lot more threatening and and more importantly, I think is then what comes off the bench. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we haven't spoken about this bench setup and what the South Africans are going to bring now again. So I think for me, they have to go with that test match. You know, as we know, it's it's a it's a kind of a more how can I say turnover game, getting the points and that strangle, that kind of almost strangling and then slowly but surely, you know, sapping out that energy and then bringing on the kind of the guys off the bench. So are more likely to to kind of, I would say, you know, South Africa would probably prefer to 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 face a more unsettled pack with Joe McCarthy and these guys and experience in the pack, you know, because again, I mentioned the back five of Ireland really are now in a place where, you know, they've 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 got options all over the lineout. And they've almost got kind of a similar dynamic to South Africans, obviously, maybe with some different variants in heart with Erges Neyman and these guys putting out the heart barometer. But um, but there's no doubt that they'll need them at set piece. And uh, and that's one area that Ireland need to not only take themselves, but need to put that pressure on South Africa. I think we've seen a little turning point in the Scotland game where that one scrum uh, end of the game, you know, showed a little bit of glimmer of um, glimmer of hope. In the in in the, in the in the scrum from South Africa, so who knows what Ireland might do and and, and come for them down there. But we know our solid, obviously, South Africa's maulers, and that's a, another area that Ireland will have to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to South Africa's win against Scotland in Marseille on on Sunday evening, eighteen three in the end, six three at halftime, and tries in the second half from Peter Steph Dutoy and Kurt Lorenze, giving South Africa and the World Champions a, a fairly comfortable win in the end. And BJ, I think, would would it be fair to say 18-3 probably flattered Scotland more than it did South Africa if you factor in the the missed kicks from uh the missed mix missed kicks from um uh Manny Libok in the end as well. It was a pretty comfortable South African second half in the end. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think I was looking at the scoreline and 35 minutes, 36 minutes was still six 0 only. And it seemed like South Africa had been in control really the whole game. Really, Scotland under pressure, they'd find some way to just keep the South Africans out getting over the try line. And uh, there were some obviously areas of the defensive side that South Africa were just frantic and coming out of line, but then they seemed to cover it, you know. So they put Scotland under a huge amount of pressure and and obviously, um, you know, moving on in the greens, they didn't uh, allow Finn Russell to do anything really um, that he usually does. And um, yeah, I think they were just basically trying to, in one part, South Africa were trying to just, you know, again, damage control yeah with respect to Scotland get the win first and foremost hence the fact that we're going for poles and really just 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 get through this game unscathed um you know and I think they with you with you saying that the the kind of goal kicking and that I think the, the scoreline maybe detract them a little bit but again Scotland is a quality side they've shown that in the past and a, and a, and a tough side to put away James um South Africa are the the kind of team that they don't always have the the scoreboard dominance that they should and you know, you can sometimes look at a, a South Africa game and think it was a lot closer than it was. And 18-3, I think, is is along those lines this weekend where barring those last five, ten minutes of the first half when Scotland picked off a couple of big big penalties and, and Finn Russell made a kick, that was probably all they could muster. Um, If you look at some of the stats, like the, the way South Africa handled the game... Scotland's average ruck speed was was just under five seconds. Like they did a brilliant job slowing it down, but also then defensively as well, the the pressure they had Finn Russell and Scotland's centres as well of Tua Piloto and Hugh Jones under pressure with they 
they really struggled to to make any clean breaks or make any real ground. Yeah, and I think that's um, it starts with that kind of that breakdown where South Africa really slowed down the ball, and then South Africa were able to get their defensive line uh, set nice and early, and they had numbers. And as you say, the South African tactic was get that line speed. They were blitzing up so quickly, trying to put Finn Russell under so much pressure that he threw an intercept or he panicked or he tried something miraculous. And he tried a few things, but it was just unable to, to unlock it, you know. And uh, South Africa were just so comfortable. It was nearly like Scotland, keep having the ball and, and we'll keep knocking you back all day. And uh, they didn't really threaten South Africans' defence, which is, uh, bar maybe one or two occasions when Darcy Graham had an opportunity and didn't uh, didn't give it to Van der Merver up the wing and he kind of held on to it when I thought he should have given it. That was a, a kind of opportunity to miss, but that was a glimmer, a chink in the armour perhaps that I saw that Ireland can certainly take into the game against them, that there there is some space if you can get around that blitz defence that they bring up and if you can be patient and understand that the South Africans are going to bring this line speed and not panic under the situation because that's what they're trying to do. Slow down your ball, be in control. Like Ireland's, again, looking at this Ireland-South Africa game, Ireland have uh, line speed, which is which has been pretty quick and that's kind of frustrated uh, teams defending against them. So if Ireland can manage to get more than parity at the breakdown, get kick ball again, that will allow the South African defence not get aligned and not be as set as it was against Scotland. So I think that that's something to take on into that game. Yeah, the amount of space that was out wide was really fascinating to see. It was just that Scotland couldn't get the ball there. And it was really interesting to, uh, statistic that sums it up, BJ, that Scotland had the, the highest percentage of carries, which were two or more passes away from the breakdown. So of 73%. So you could see they were trying desperately to get the ball out wide as quick as possible. But as risky as the South African defence was, it was the execution of it was really, really impressive. And they were shutting them down before they could get that ball out wide. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And it's 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 something else, really, I, I suppose, in one sense, because, again, you need everyone to buy into that system. It's no second-guessing. It's no basically taking a step back. It's really everyone buying in. And even when they did possibly try and get the ball wide, I think at one side, I think it was Libor coming across, and he still had the pace to maybe get across, whether we would have made the tackle or not, but they still had that cross-cover. So, yeah, as an as a, as a attack, you know, you have this peripheral you know that you basically just feel and see and that just already automatically you know does affect sometimes the pass and and that kind of pass that comes out where one little pass just off and not in front of the player that then just allows that defense to you know just to be right on top of you so it really has to be you know pitch perfect which johnny and and, and these guys do really well you know so that's the area they do really well their passes are exceptionally quick smooth crisp you know they they do that well and they shift that ball so there's no doubt that they will use that but you know there's as you know with south africa you can't just be kind of trying to go around them there has to be stages where we have to go through them yeah and it's going to have to also take place yeah and scotland really struggled with with that yeah. side of things um the follow-on from that question then James and BJ, you can follow in after it as well. And it's something that uh, it's a question we got on uh, on Twitter from Paul Roach. He says, we'll be interested in the panelists advice on the best way to break down that South Africa defense. So obviously we've explained why they were efficient at it. But what's the next step of then? How do you get around it? How do you get that ball out wide? And how do you take advantage of how aggressive they are with the line speed? Um, there's a couple of ways you can do it, I suppose. Um, with line speed, initially, there is the option to put a little chip in behind to take 
uh, to put the doubt in the defense of keep, well, keep them honest, keep them honest, keep, exactly. You know, and some teams, especially at the start of a game, they're keen to put a hit in their um, the emotions are high just to take it out of it because the last thing they want is the South Africans to to get a big hit, um, get their sails up, and uh, and be um, you know, you can see they get um, so encouraged by a big hit and they can high five in each other. Take that sting out of it. Just little chip in behind. Take the line speed out. They don't get to make the big hit. They get a little bit frustrated. Obviously, you're still going to have to play. I still think that if they do come up, it's about, um, like we saw Bundy kind of do it, trailing on um, Robbie's inside or on, um, Johnny's inside. Just a little dummy to come from. If a little late pass and he can he can come off his shoulder, if the South Africans haven't numbered upright. Uh, and then also there's the case of you just got to hold your depth and, and try and get around that. Uh, out wide and we do have the back three I suppose that have the pace to get around and and the, and the handling ability to get around there but sometimes easier said than done you know but I think initially it's got to got to take this thing out sometimes you're just going to have to take the few hits but I'd like to see a couple of chips in behind potentially just to take that thing out um, variations and options speed of ball is going to be massively key as well um, speed of ball at that breakdown won't allow the South African defence get settled and it's about South Africa having to repeat constantly getting back in the line, coming up again, getting back in the line, coming up again, which is really hard to do, having done it two or three times. To do it four or five times, you're going to get a stagnant defender. You're going to get maybe a lazy defender. And they're going to try and have to, well, I'm sure they're going to try and look to pick someone off of that. Look, easier said than done, of course, um, because when South Africa knock you behind the line, it's very hard to get realigned again, and and you, the attacking team, have to go behind the gain line and and reset and set to go again. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting tactics, and I'm sure the Irish boys have looked at it. Um, but there's certainly a few options. BJ, yeah, I suppose I definitely echo what James says there about the kicking game. There's no doubt that that just takes that little bit of that edge off the line speed. But the big the big area there for me is is really the breakdown, and and obviously we know that in, in rugby, but the, the the breakdown speed, and and I suppose if if Ireland can get that right, you know they've got the individual players to get over the gain line by stepping, by breaking through a tackle, like we mentioned, Bundy, Peter, Manny, Doris, these guys, they can get their hands free for an offload, and I suppose that's that area that you want to really expose because when they do make those tackles and it's kind of a, a ruck, that's when they do go straight for the counter. And they kind of get that ascendancy there. And that's why it becomes that four or five second ruck. So that'll be, it's going to be, it's it's such, it's so cutting edge. And it's going to be on that kind of balance in regards to that. So if they can go that three, four, five, six phases, be patient, get that speed still coming through, you know, they're going to find that space through the middle, I think. Um, and then they can then bring that defensive line in a little bit and then really get the time to get it out wide. And then that that balance with some kicking, some real precise kicking to get the ball back, you know, we're in for a hell of a game. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I'm interested to get your your thoughts, BJ, and your take on how are Ireland being viewed down in South Africa? Um, like, are they being viewed as are, are South Africans considering themselves favourites for this game in in ten days' time? How's all how's all that playing out? Is there is there a fear, a wariness around Ireland, or will Africans generally be fairly confident of of being able to get past them next week? No, there's definitely a very, very big wariness and huge respect. I mean, this has started, I think, already from the Irish uh, you know, provinces involved in the URC. South Africa, first and foremost, have loved the URC. 
you know, and, and then have seen how the provinces have done well, you know, Leinster, Ulster, and now specifically, you know, Stormers being beaten by, by Munster. So it's really put a big scope on that. And that just relaying to the to the Irish side, really, as South African supporters know very well how it's been really our team that we've struggled with, you know, on end of your tours, um, specifically, you know, it's a side that we haven't, you know, managed to get over. And um, so they got huge respect for them and they see them definitely as the biggest obstacle, I think, going forward um, through the World Cup. There's no doubt. Huge respect for them. Um, they know the Irish systems to one part. They they know how they built them, this team up and it's it's really is one versus two. So that says it all. And uh, South African supporters and, and guys that have been traveling view it at that. And uh, I know from personal perspective, it's it's people have been asking for tickets since a year ago. And uh, it's the big game the guys are looking forward to. You know, this is the game they're looking forward to. And I think, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take the next step after that. But everything's been built up to this game. Yeah, James, and I know people might think we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about this match next week rather than the Tonga game. But I think it's just the the fact, based on what we saw on Friday night as well between France and New Zealand, like, I think it's it's as clear as it ever was now that you want to finish top of this pool. You want to avoid France in a quarterfinal. And it's not necessarily that you want to play New Zealand in a quarterfinal, but I don't think either of these two teams have any interest in going to the Stade de France to play France in a quarterfinal, particularly as well, but one less day's preparation because that's going to be the Saturday night game. It just makes this match even more important next week. Yeah, it certainly does. And when you say it like that, it's the lesser of two evils to to take uh, New Zealand ahead of France. But I guess um, I'm sure the South Africans have looked at it. It's not the all-black side um, that we would have kind of known from a couple of years ago. They do not have that invincibility about them. Uh, and I think that that's where South Africa and Ireland would say, yeah, we'd certainly prefer that, especially given the way the French um, at home, you know, in front yeah. of that crowd, didn't play particularly well, but still managed to win. Um, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a big case for, for both teams really going for it. I know it was all kind of permutations of... Um, whoever won or how we saw them who we'd prefer to take so I'm sure both teams now would be, be looking forward to to trying to get one over and I think that Ireland will certainly uh, would prefer to play New Zealand because they certainly hold no fears to them but a lot of um, a lot of water under the bridge to go first by, by getting past South Africa Yeah and just one final point on that France and New Zealand game BJ as well Antoine Dupont wasn't really at his best. One of the rare occasions where he was probably a little bit below par uh, for France on Friday night. But on the flip side, there's probably a reassurance for France then that, okay, everything doesn't have to come through Antoine de Pont. We can, we can get through games even when he's not at 100%. Uh, so th- like, there's a little bit of reassurance there that it's by no means a one-man team. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think France have showed it. Look, I had my doubts now after Intermec and... These guys have, have were injured before the World Cup, and the doubts of would they be this kind of side that we saw before? And uh, look, they've proven that even not playing to their best, you know, they're beating New Zealand. Um, you know, coming New Zealand, I thought I was back in New Zealand, coming off a loss against South Africa, I thought we'd have a reaction, a massive reaction from them, you know. But for me, New Zealand were just making those basic errors and stupid errors regarding, you know, jumping up and knocking guys in the air and these these mistakes that the side like New Zealand doesn't make and, you know, losing them to cards. So, um, look, France have shown now um, they are, they are I think, the side to kind of look at and they're in, they're in their own country and they, for me, the biggest threat around that other than kind of Ireland. 
So for me, going forward, I think the guys will be very wary of of, of playing them, you know, early on. Um, there's no doubt about that. And Dupont, you know, um, he's 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 really a top player when he's on form. So there's no doubt uh, he will be invaluable to them. Final couple of bits we'll we'll touch on. Um, I want to bring up England Argentina twenty seven ten win for for England in the end. Um, I won't really touch too much on Tom Curry's red card because that hearing is going on today pretty much as we're recording and I might save that and the general refereeing inconsistencies for our podcast on Thursday. So tune in on Thursday and we'll talk a bit more about it because we want to kind of get the idea of how Tom Curry's red card has been viewed. Um, But in general, off this this England win, James, a, a bizarre game in the end and it was fascinating to see how the Argentinian players just seemed to unravel and how their game unraveled with each George Ford drop goal in those space of about 10 minutes in the first half. I know. And it's the small things. It's just, uh, it's, there's not too much you can do to kind of stop a drop goal really, you know, and he's so good at it. Um, it's quite frustrating. Um, and it just seemed to rip the heart from them, you know, and it's something, it's that passion that I mentioned even this weekend coming into Tonga where you can kind of just take that sting out of it. And I think um, that that's what England did quite well, just took the sting out of it and the passion out of the Argentinians and their head dropped and they got frustrated with it as well, you know, and it's it's not something you'd normally um, see, but it, it just goes to show how smart England were, unfortunately, and how it's, it's like you mentioned it when... Um, we're talking about today, you know, about it's cup rugby and it's mm-hmm. um, it's not about how glamorous no one's going to care about how the quality of rugby you play. If England get over the line by putting up bombs and kicking goals, they'll do it, you know, and it's and, and no one will care if they if they have a winner's medal. So they're doing just what they have to do. It's the way Steve Bortwick had Leicester Tigers playing. Um, it's percentages, it's forcing other teams to make errors. It's kicking the ball. And when you have someone like George Ford and not many people call him for Marcus Smith to play because he's much more attacking. Um, you've got George Ford who just runs the game and kicks his goal and is nice and safe and controlled, and um, it's it's winning the games. Yeah, and they shipped a lot of criticism, and I think, and, and a lot of it fair as well over the last few weeks over the way they played and the results they had. Bj, but the composure they showed and the execution of it was very very impressive on Saturday night. And if you look at the the penalty count. Argentina gave away 16 penalties. 10 of those were when they were in attack. So like the pressure that England were putting them under in defence and around the breakdown contributed so much to the points they were able to win and the, and the penalties they were able to put up on the board. It, was, it wasn't the prettiest performance we're ever going to see, but it was very, very effective. And it was... The, the plan was executed about as perfectly as it could be. Yeah, there's no doubt. It was very effective. And I think if you'd ask anyone coming to this game, uh, there's no doubt they'll be, for me, they'll be favouring Argentina, even though that Argentina didn't have the best rugby championship coming into this, but it was probably just the form of England, what has been happening in camp, the feral issue, you know, kind of the unhappiness to one part. So it shows, you know, that they are, you know, kind of a team to be reckoned with. And coming into the World Cup, for me, you know, England always been that side that um, you can just never, never you know, put down because they just seem to keep the scoreboard ticking. And that's why they've been so successful in World Cups, you know, over the years is because they just keep that, keep that, those drop kicks, put, put the ball over the poles. And from a forwards perspective, and Argentina is driven a lot by their forward pack, you know, they're kind of trying to be that physical side and stuff. When they, when you see that scoreboard ticking, 
it, it sucks it out of you. You know, it really does. And then you make those errors kind of, and, and, and I'm really, I was really disappointed at how poor Argentina was. Mm. I have England, you know, might have something here with George Ford going forward and building around that. And uh, as I said before, you know, they've come into World Cups fourth or fifth in the, in the world, not obviously right. I don't know what they are now. And I know rankings are quite variable, but still, you know, they, we shouldn't we shouldn't count them out in the sense of the threat they pose around that um, around that area from a cup rugby perspective. Yeah, and James, uh, finally then, fascinating to see what happens when Owen Farrell is fit and available for selection. Yeah, massively so. I think uh, you have to find a place from somewhere and it's only going to put he, more... I mean, does he have to find a place from the starting team? I think he does, yeah. I, I do. I, I Like, I think he works. I... I I don't mind him playing midfield, and then you're kind of going, who do you who who misses out? But I do like to see Farrell in a side. I think England work better when Farrell plays in a side. And again, I think it's a case of it's that momentum of uh, they'll be buoyed by this. Okay, they did well, like uh, fourteen down to fourteen men, and can pull off this result within their camp. The confidence is going to be so high, uh, and Farrell's coming back and. All of a sudden, that momentum starts to pick up, uh, and before you know it, they'll be like potentially in a quarter final and with an eye in a semi final, and then you're like eighty minutes, one hundred and sixty minutes away from from winning a World Cup, and and that's that's a nice caveat to have for the squad, you know, who who have been under pressure beforehand, who haven't played great rugby, uh, but ultimately due to the draw and, and certain things that they they're in a in a strong position. Yeah, the competition has just opened right up for them after after that win. Um, Wales and Fiji, we've probably run out of time to talk about because there actually was a lot in it, but we will get to that on Thursday because uh, Fiji and Australia is going to be a really interesting game at the weekend. So we'll chat about that a little bit more and a lot more things as well besides. A reminder, the, the games that are coming up this weekend starts on Thursday evening, France against Uruguay, 8 o'clock in Lille in Pool A. Then the other game in Pule on Friday, 8 o'clock in Toulouse, New Zealand against Namibia. On Saturday from 2pm, you have Samoa against Chile in Pool D from Bordeaux, followed by Wales and Portugal at 4.45 in Pool C. That one's in Nice. And then Ireland against Tonga, 8 o'clock kickoff in Nantes. That is live on RT2 and RTE player, as is South Africa in, against Romania on Sunday afternoon, 2pm from Bordeaux and that Australia-Fiji game in Pool C at 4.45 in San Etienne. And the final game of the weekend then, England against Japan, 8pm in Pool D from Nice. That is pretty much it from the podcast this afternoon. A reminder, we'll be back for more on the RT podcast, uh, RT Rugby World Cup podcast on Thursday evening with reaction to the Ireland team news and a look ahead to the weekend's games. Um, BJ and James, thanks a million again and uh, hopefully we'll see you, see you both soon. The rest of you, thanks for listening and watching. Get your questions into us for Thursday as well, and we'll speak to you then.